We've been working our ways through the Psalms uh, since January. We are in the last Sunday, uh, last Psalm that we're going to be doing in this series. Going to move into some some other things as we move into the fall. Uh, we are in Psalm 139 this morning. I think it is a great place in a in a study through the Psalms to uh, to conclude, to end. And so uh, it is full and rich. It's uh, long, and so I'm going to dive right in because there's a lot here to to touch on. Psalm 139, hear the Word of God. O Lord, You have searched me, and You have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And You're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all together. You hem me in before and behind, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there. Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are the works of your hands. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they were more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them as my enemies, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We thank you for the revelation of it, what it tells us about you, what it tells us about us, the way that it reveals the world and the way things are, and and how you work, and the ways that You are in our lives. Father, would You have mercy and come near this morning as we study Your Word and open it up that You would speak the truth to our souls in a way that shape and mold us and make us more like Jesus, in whose name we ask and pray. Amen. In Psalm 40, the psalmist says, Why do you say, O Israel? The psalmist doesn't say. Isaiah says, 
why do you say, I did that a couple weeks ago, I was talking about Abraham, and apparently I said David over and over again, but I was talking about Abraham, so anyway, this happens. I say that in case you were wondering about that day, and whether he knows who David and Abraham are, <clears throat> and I do, um, <clears throat> but sometimes when words are many, I'm confused. So Isaiah says, why do you say, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Right? We can get to that place. The place where Isaiah is, as he says, that God says Israel is at that point. Why would we say, my way is hidden? But sometimes we feel like it is. We think that God doesn't see us. We think that God isn't involved, that He's not. He says, or that my right is disregarded by my God. Why do we sometimes think that Somehow we are being abused or sometimes we're in a situation that's unfair or sometimes we're in a situation that seems hard or whatever it is and we think we must be being disregarded. We get there. We doubt. We are tempted. Tempted to doubt His care. Tempted to doubt His good intentions. Wondering, is He, is he really see me? Is He really there for me? If you've never had that thought, you're an exceptional human being and an exceptional believer. Because even we in the dark moments wonder. And Psalm 139 is this beautiful and powerful meditation on who God is. There's a bunch of big theological words we'd throw out. It's a meditation on God's omniscience. That He knows all things. That He knows all things past and all things future. He knows everything in the world. He knows everything in your heart and your mind. He knows knows. When a sparrow falls in the furthest part of an empty forest, he knows all things. But he's not only omniscient, he is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And that psalm celebrates his omnipresence. That God is a God that has no limits. He is not a physical being. He is a spirit. And he is in all places at the same time. And he is omnipotent and all-powerful. And He's able to do all things. He's the Creator who forms human beings as complex as we are in the whole thing. He is the former and the shaper of such things. And we are way beneath Him. So there is this God. But this this psalm is not just a theological treatise. It's easy for us to go there when we learn theology and and talk about theology is simply to go abstractly think about these ideas. God is everywhere. You know, kind of like the air. Isn't that interesting? You know, it's not an abstract process that the psalmist is going through, is it? It's very, very personal. Right? He is prayerfully and carefully thinking through what all of these omnis God's knowing and His being that is in all places and His omnipotent power. And the psalmist is taking those things down into his own life and his experience and thinking through what that means for him. So that it saturates the way that he thinks and worships and lives. He's thinking about God's power and presence in his life. and the life of God's people. Personal and gracious and knowing and watchful and shepherding presence that stretches to the womb and before and into the unknown future. He says, O Lord, You have searched me and You have known me. The intimate details of who I am. 
If you ever doubt that level of knowledge that He has of you, He says, you have known me. Not just God knows everything. Sometimes you can make it a crowd. God knows you know, everything. But sometimes we just fail to bring it down that He has known me. My fears right now. My struggles right now. The thoughts that I'm having. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? The feelings and the motives of my... That he, he has known me. And He knows me now. And not just in this moment, but every moment. I am a known quantity before the Lord. It's very personal. It's not unlike Jesus saying in Luke 12, verse 7, when Jesus says this, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And you know the context of that. He's talking about you know, not a sparrow falls from the sky that the Lord doesn't know. He knows these things, but then He starts talking about the hairs on your head are numbered. And you're worth more than a sparrow. When He says He, just ha- he doesn't just happen to know the number of hairs on your head. This is good for me and you know, all of us who are, are chair ha- hair challenged at times to know that, you know that even these things are not just known before God. And we'll talk about this some more. That God's knowing is not just an abstract knowing Himself. God is involved. His knowing is very active. But his, He has omniscient, intimate knowledge of His people and the idea that your hairs are numbered as many as they are, and in some ways as uh, irrelevant as they are in the full scheme of my life and stuff. Uh, but even that, He knows. Why? The context is because He cares. You're more valuable than any other creature on the planet. He has made you. So He... He has searched me and He knows me. And and He goes on and He says, and when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You know, this is similar to what we talked about last time with God's watching and His care that He watches over us in our comings and our goings, right? When I sit down and when I rise up. And not only that, He discerns our thoughts, our feelings, our motives, what goes on inside of us. You know, we are often a mystery to ourselves. I don't know if you're a man, at least I'm often a mystery to myself. Not always in touch with my feelings and my thoughts. You know, I have to sometimes really dig to figure out what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it, and kind of deal with that. You know, where ladies tend to be more in touch with their emotions. But either way, all of us at some level are a bit of a mystery to ourselves. The subtlety of our motives. Why do we do what we do? Why did I say that? Why do I put that out there? Why did I do that? Why did I slip that in there? Why? You know, our own motives that we don't even know beforehand until the words are out. And then we have to go back and say, why did I even say that? I don't, I don't even know sometimes the things that are going on, the subtlety of my own motives, the, the confusion sometimes of my desires and what we want and what we're after and where we're going, the perplexity sometimes of our choices. Why did I do that? Why did I choose these things that I've done? We... But He knows your deepest struggle. He knows your fears. The ones that drive you and make you say some of those things. He knows your, your pride that, that makes you come out and slide that thing in there. He knows your criticalness that why that other thing slipped out and you said that at that moment or, or you did that thing. He knows your thoughts from afar. Your deepest fears. Your hidden self. The, the labyrinth of our hearts that we can't follow those pathways down. But He has made us. And He understands the heart. And He holds it 
in His own hands. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13, He says, just grabbing part of it, He says that He discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart such that no creature is hidden from His sight. But we are all naked and exposed. Right? He just said He knows the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. So this naked and exposed is this the heart and soul are, are open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to give an account. He knows you. And the scary thing at some level is He knows you better than you know you. And you're trying to figure out your motives and why you say or do some things at times and we're trying to... And He knows you better than you know you. God unravels the thoughts and the attitudes. So He says, you search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. And when He says that, He just says, you know, you, know, you can take the path that's quite literal... You know, uh, uh, an Israelite traveling, whether it's to Jerusalem or anywhere else, and I'm traveling the path, and you know my path. In other words, you know what's down the road. You know if there's a bear around the bend. You, you know what's down and going to happen next. You know where my feet are going to fall. You know the choice I'm going to make of the way I'm going to get there before I do. You know my path. But he says also, you know my lying down, which if you're traveling in that way, you do at the end of your day of travel. Like you know where I'm going to end up. You know how many miles I'm going to cover. You know exactly where I'm going to bed down, so you know the path that I chose. You know, he says, all of my ways. And so you can take that even back then into metaphorically into our lives, and I think that that's intended there. You know what's around the, he knows what's around the next curve of your life. He knows what your tomorrow holds. You don't. You don't. But he does. And so he assures us, you know. My path. You know where I'm going to put down my head tonight. All of my ways. You hem me in behind and before. So whether I go forward, you are there. If I turn and go back, you are there. And you can do that in terms of space and time. It works for time as we go forward into tomorrow and the next day. You're already there. You already know. He knows the end from the beginning. If I go back and look at my past, He hems me in. God is already there. Hengsten Berg, one commentator, says this, that you can do nothing. You can suffer nothing without being seen by your... Hmm, that's not quite right, is it? <laughs> he discerns... Let me get pulled from my notes. No, yeah, but, oh, being, without being seen by you. That sometimes happens. Can you do nothing? You can suffer nothing without being seen by you and being always in your power. right? And I think that's what he means when he says, your hand is always upon me. Verse 5, you hand me in before and behind, and your hand is always on me. What does it mean that his hand is always on you? That you are always under his power to turn you to the left or to the right, to, you know, to have you, to hold you, to care for you. That he's not far from you. That his hand on your shoulder to comfort you. That he says I, that my, your hand is always upon me. I'm always under your watch care. Always under your power. So whether you're thinking, whether you're speaking, whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, whether you're coming, whether you're going, whether it's morning until evening, whether you're pressing ahead or you're turning back, whether it's the past or into the future, the Almighty God, he says, has already been there and his hand is upon you. Right? This, this complete picture. It's, it's one of the things as you read through the Psalms that again and again this comprehensive sense 
of God's power and presence and control that sometimes we drift through life without a real conscious awareness of. But he doesn't just say here, he's been talking about God's omniscience of how he knows all these things. And he shifts gears and he moves into God's omnipresence, that he's present everywhere all the time. Where shall I go? Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand again shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Even there. So God is present everywhere. If you're like Jonah and you want to go on the run, it's not going to work. Right? And you read that story, it's just how he, you know, he runs to the end of it, he gets on a boat and he starts going where? To the uttermost parts of the sea or where he's, you know, he's on a ship. And God finds him on the ship. Like there's no running, it is impossible. But I believe that the psalmist actually doesn't want to run from him. I don't think that's what he is saying. He's not saying, I want to run, I can't get away from you. He's saying, he just marvels that even if he tried, even if I wanted to get away from you, which I don't, it would be impossible. There's no way to outrun God. If I go up or if I go down, right? If I go east or if I go west, like he gives the dimensions, the directions of it. Up to heaven, down to Sheol. From the wings of the morning in the east to the uttermost parts of the sea, the Mediterranean from where Israel is seated, the uttermost parts of the sea, west. Right? So whether I go up, whether I go down, whether I go east, whether I go west, whichever way directions I'm going, there you are. If I ride the sun, you know, the, the, the wings of the morning and the beam at the speed of light to the uttermost parts of the, the sea. And the sea for the Jew, Jewish mind is a chaotic, dark, and dangerous place. They're not a seafaring folk per se, like many in the ancient world. And they look at the sea even from Genesis and the whole images of water is chaos. And there's fear. And so the sea, as you travel the Mediterranean, which empties into the Atlantic and then goes on. If to the uttermost parts of the chaotic, unknown reaches of an earth that I haven't even begun to explore or know anything about, don't even want to get on a boat per se, even there, right? Verse 10 is such a marvelous. Even there, how far can you get into the distance and chaos of the unknown? And even there, your hand will lead me. You know, the, you know that place already you formed it and so you can lead me and your right hand holds me he doesn't just know everything and he doesn't just happen to be everywhere right this is what the psalmist celebrates as he does this it's not just an abstract oh you know everything and you're everywhere but you know everything about me and you know everywhere i'm going and everywhere i've been Right, for this, this is a knowledge for him that he takes delight in as he applies the knowledge of who God is in all these ways to himself. And so I invite you this morning, as the psalmist does, everywhere he says me, you should think me. Everywhere he says I, you should think I. You should, everywhere as you read this psalm or reread it this afternoon or this week and to think through. And this is, this, this is your job, believe it or not, with, with Scripture. For, for the Scripture is given to you, and a preacher does his best to kind of unpack it to you. But what the psalmist is doing is your job, which is to take God's Word and the truth of it, the theology of it, the promises of it, all that is revealed in it, 
and to think through how it applies to my life. How it should shape my thinking and so my feeling and so my living and how I handle those things which come across my path you know, with this saturating my view of life. And so the job of every believer is to take God's Word and apply it to ourselves to, to think through how it changes everything for me. He starts wondering about the darkness. He's thought about everywhere and every place. And he thinks, well, maybe, maybe, maybe in the cover of darkness, you know, God would lose sight of me. Right? If I say, surely the darkness would cover me and the light about me be as night. He says, no, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. The darkness is as light with you. In other words, there is this whole thing in the pitch black of the deepest valley on a moonlit, uh, moonless night. Right? In that deep, have you ever been in the pitch black on a moonless night? Or it's so overcast and you get somewhere where there's no, and it's just... He says, maybe in the... These guys who know, there's no... You're out in a moonless night. You don't have a flashlight. I mean, maybe you pull out. They know darkness in a way that sometimes we don't really experience this total darkness. Maybe, maybe in the darkest darkness. You know, but God made animals that are nocturnal. Who see in the dark. They don't have a power God doesn't have. Right? He has some of us who see in the day, some creatures see at night. Night, night and dark. God created light and dark. God creates these things. God doesn't have any problem seeing in the dark. And that's why he says, you know, these are things that don't apply to God. Even darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as day. There's a night vision. There is a total piercing vision of all things that God has. He is not limited by such things that we are. And if you take it uh, spiritually or, or metaphorically, if maybe the darkness will cover me, maybe if I backslide and wander like a lost sheep and find myself in darkness or find myself at a distance, spiritually cold, maybe there He would lose sight of me. He would abandon me. But He says we are never out of His sight. That's what I love, that He will hold me fast. It's a song we sang at a conference that we went to, uh, T4G, Together for the Gospel. And then when we went to a general assembly. At the assembly, we sang that song. I've grown to, to love it. This idea that He will hold me fast. Right? It's, not in, it's not about my power to hold Him. It's about His power committed to hold me. Wherever I find myself in the farthest chaotic parts of the sea or in the deepest of darkness, whether we ascend to heaven, whether we descend into hell, whether we go east to the sunrise and ride it west to the chaotic reaches of the unknown in the deepest darkness, lost in the night. He says, even there, even there, you guide me. Even there, your hand is still holding me. Right? It's not just nearby or slapping me around. Right? It's holding me. It reminds me of Jesus in John 10 when He speaks to His disciples and to those who would listen and have ears to hear. He says in John 10, I give them eternal life and and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. I hold them. My Father who's given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. There's a double grip of grace. We hold You. So even there, 
wherever there is, wherever you have gotten to, if you are His, no one shall snatch you out of His hand. Even there, He says, His right hand has a hold on you. So He's omniscient. He knows all things. And He is everywhere. But He's also omnipotent. He moves in and He says, You formed My inward parts. You are the Creator. Of the deepest parts of My being, You formed My inward parts. You knitted Me together in My mother's womb. When He says, You knit, You wove, You gave shape to Me in the womb, it's an active. He didn't say, you, you just saw Me being formed, or You knew that I was taking shape. Or you, right? it's, not a, it's not a God is observing. This is no longer omniscience. This is, this is power. You knit Me together. Inside of a woman's body, inside of a uterus, inside of a person's being, you were there working with an almighty power to create me. You knit me together. You formed my inwards part. Now that can be, and that's my heart, my liver, my pancreas. You knit the things that, that I can't get at without a knife. Like you did that, he says, but more than that, he is saying, what often that refers to not just those things, but heart and soul. You created my inward parts. You formed my inner being. We are not a chance creature, a chance existence. I praise you because I am fearfully, verse 14, and wonderfully made. I'm a made thing, a created thing by this one who knows all things and exists in all places and he says my soul knows it very well we know our creator Romans 1 says that although we knew him we did not acknowledge him we did not treat him as God we didn't there is that knowledge in every one of us it knows we are fearfully and wonderfully made we know our Maker. And God says, although we knew Him, we suppressed the truth. You know, so some who suppress, but for the rest of us, we celebrate the fact that we are created. You know, the abortion industry flourishes by calling a baby tissue or a fetus. And so if you just call it tissue, and a woman has a right over her own body, and if I got extra tissue, I don't want. But we're given a glimpse, my friends, into the womb. And what do we see there? Do we see tissue? Do we see something unknown, uncared for, disposable? Or do we see the hand of God? The God who says, before you were formed in the womb, where I formed you, and I knew you. Knitting and forming and shaping us. And so even though in verse 15 he says, my frame is not hidden from you when I'm being made in the secret place, who's making me? So he says, my frame is not hidden. Or in verse 16, your eyes saw. At the same time he says, I'm not hidden and I saw. It's not God standing back. That seeing and that knowing is active and creative and powerful. But God's sovereign hand isn't limited to the womb, is it? He knows us 
hemmed in before and behind. He has a plan. In verse 16, powerfully says, your eyes not only saw my unformed substance, but in your book were written every one of them, every one of the days that was formed for me. I was formed by your hand, and every day that I have was formed by you for me. Right? So I am formed, and every day is a written day. Right? Isn't that what he says? Before one of them came to pass, while I'm still in the womb being formed by your hand, every day that, that will come to pass was written for me. Every day is a written day. His day. This is the day you have made. Not just in the very general sense that there's another day, but in the sense that this is the day you have made for me. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That He has ordained that we should walk in them. Our days are written days. He has a plan for us and a purpose for us. From before the beginning until the end, these things are in His hand. And so we think of verses just throwing some out. Jeremiah 1.5 Jeremiah writes and he says, God says through Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, before you took shape, before you were a, a, a twinkle in your mama's eye, you know, before you were in the womb, I knew you. In other words, you were my idea. Before you were the twinkle and before you were formed, I knew you. And I didn't just know you, parallel to I knew you. Before you were in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, I consecrated you. My knowing isn't a bare knowing you in the womb. Oh look, Robert's in the womb. Or before you were in the womb. It's not that kind of thing with God. It is I consecrated you, I appointed you, I created you with purpose. I set you apart. We might say He elected us. Which is what Isaiah says in 44.2. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you, fear not. Oh, my servant Jacob, Jeshurun, Israel, whom I have chosen. Whom I have, the same word is elected. It's what we get in Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. That we should be holy and blameless in Him. In love, He predestined us for the adoption of sons. And so He takes us before the foundations of the world. If we tie it together with all this knowledge that God says that He has, that He knit us together in the womb and He knew us before, and He knows us and He elects us and He calls us. So Galatians 1.15, Paul says this, but when He who had set me apart before I was born called me by His grace, Set apart before I'm born. Formed purposefully. Known and chosen before. Known, loved, elected, chosen before time. Created, knit together, formed in the mother's womb. In the fullness of time. Called and brought forth to faith by His grace. Fear not. I will help you. I have my hand upon you. No one will snatch you from my hand. He hems us in before and behind. And my every day is a written day. Let me make short work in the time we have left with this next section. Isn't the next section a little jarring? You're going along. You're just clipping along. Like this is, you know, more of this. And, he, and in verse, what is it? Verse 20. Five, he come, three, he comes to a screeching. No, verse, there it is. Yeah, I have to get way back and see it. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. 
O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with a malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. And do I not hate those who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Where does this come from? And I'm going to do my best in just a, with a few quick thoughts of how this fits in here. First thing that we need to, I think, see is this idea that, that when he talks of hatred like this, at least in the, in, the, in the fullest sense that Jesus gives us, this hatred doesn't mean that we should have malice or evil intent. Um, but it's hyperbole, at least in Jesus. Because Jesus basically says the exact same thing. And I think we should take it in the way that Jesus said it. When did He say it? He said it like this in Luke 14. He said, if anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, and his brothers and his sisters, and yes, even himself and his own life, he cannot be My disciple. In other words, to be My disciple, you must hate all your dearest and closest relations. Now what is He saying? And all of us, at least most of us would know and take that very quickly as hyperbole. That what he is saying is your allegiance to me has to be complete and absolute. Your love for me has to be first. You have to seek my kingdom and my agenda. Like I am your Lord, your King, your God, your Maker. You worship one and only one. And I am the one you worship. And so in comparison, in some sense, you have to deny yourself and deny in one sense your family. If your family... You know, denies you that there are many people in the world right now to choose to follow Jesus is to walk away from their families. Because their families kick them out, disown them, will beat them, will kill them, will make sure they'll never have a job again. Um, it, is, it, is, it is a radical choice to choose to follow Jesus. And even in these days, there is that choice. The powers that be are against Him. And where will you align yourself? And so there is this... What it is, is a declaration of love and loyalty to God. Such that your enemies are my enemies. I'm on your side. That's the essence of what he is saying. I choose you. Your ways. And so we need to understand that it is a declaration of loyalty. He, is celebrating, he has been celebrating throughout this psalm, God is with him. Right? That's what he's been, this way and that way. God is with me. He knows me. He is on my side. And then he gets to this point and he turns it around and he says, God, I'm with you. I'm on your side. I choose you. Right? And so he turns it around and he goes and declares his allegiance. And he says, I forsake the way of wickedness. And so the third thing coming out of that would be, the, I think, an application to yourself if you haven't made it, depending on where you are. That if you have not declared yourself for Him, then we need to hear clearly in this, this thing, do not think that you will escape Him. Do not think you can hide from Him. Do not think there is not, we are naked and exposed before the One with whom we have to do. And he says, and what David says in the first line there in 18 is correct. He will slay the wicked. There is a day coming when He will hold all of us accountable. And it is time to choose this day whom we will serve. To whom we will bow our knee and give our lives and follow. And this is what David is doing, knowing who God is. He declares His allegiance, trusts in His God, and bows the knee to His Lordship. If you've never done that, today is the day to bow your knee. 
and follow Christ. And so he ends the psalm with that invitation, which is where I would end it and invite you to pray it, not just now and in this moment, but today and this afternoon and the mornings this week as you spend time with God, as he says, and finally, and see, see if there be any grievous way in me. See if there is anything wrong in those inward parts that you created and the labyrinthine ways and the dark passages. See me and know me. Search me and find if there be any grievous way in me. Why? Not just so I can be exposed and embarrassed. Because God is more gracious than that. If He exposes us, it's with good purpose. There are many of us who need to be exposed. So why? So that you can lead me in the way that is everlasting. So that I can change. So that I can be the man, the woman that you want me to be. Would you willingly and deliberately, like the psalmist, open yourself up? He invites this searching of his soul. Are you afraid to do that? There are days I'm afraid to do that. There are days I don't... Days I do not want him to see what is going on in there. But my friends, he knows. We already said that, he knows. And so, what the psalmist does is not invite him to do something he hasn't already done, but he invites him to use your omniscience and your omnipresence to, to go there and your omnipotence to... You know, he invites these things in a very personal way for his, for his own benefit for His own conviction and His own deliverance from Himself and into the way everlasting. Take your great omnipotent power and knowledge and and know Me in a way that is saving, that sets Me free and on the path of life. Come, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Open Me up. Not for information, but for transformation. Our secret sins, our pride, and our anger, and our self-centeredness, and our selfishness, and our criticalness, and all the things that you might name that are in there, our laziness, and our omissions, and the things that we're not doing, and all the things that God requires of me, come. Come and get me. Search me. And know me. Reveal myself to me. Here is a man that has come to know his God. Not just the truth about him. There's some great truths in here that we could list up, put in a theology book. But he has come not just to know the truth about him, but is the reality of his living presence. In all those things, what they mean for him. He doesn't just know about God's power and His presence. He opens his soul and pleads to be awake and aware of that power and that presence every day in a life-transforming way. Come, search me. He wants to know and experience the reality of Acts 17.8. In Him we live and we move and we have our being. It is true. The author swims in this knowledge. It is marvelous to him. He delights in it. And He wants more of it. More. Know Me. There's nothing more powerful than to be fully known and fully loved. Fully known and fully accepted. Exposed and naked before the One with whom we have to do. And know that that exposing is for our good. 
Because He would make us like Jesus and set us free even from ourselves. How about you this morning? Our God is an awesome God. Will you open your soul to His living presence and His searching eye and invite Him to come and do what only He can do in a heart that He knows better than you do. That we might be all that He intends. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we do invite You to come. Oh, how marvelous it is. This knowledge is too much for us. My knowledge of Your knowledge is overwhelming. It's humbling. It brings us to our knees in awe and wonder and to know that this One, that You, the Hound of Heaven and the Lover of our souls, oh, give us the courage to open our souls up to You. Give us the courage to pray this prayer, to invite this scrutiny, to be willing to face the deepest and the darkest, that we might be free and changed. By your grace and power, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.